0: The Cavs might be done, but we're not. Cross the Cavs, party's on. It's going to be muffins for everybody as we continue to dive into the postseason. If you don't know what that catchphrase means, you need to listen to this episode to discover that. We're going to have Brett Usher joining today. If you haven't seen his tweets, fantastic NBA threads. He's on the overstated NBA show podcast. He's going to join as we break down all four series. Do we like the Knicks or do we hate them now? Do we like Kevin Love? There's a lot going on. Do we pull for LeBron and get his fifth ring? By we, I mean us, me, you, everyone that cheers for the Cavs, what do we do? Brett and I are gonna help take you through that. Make some decisions. So buckle up. As John Michael says, crack open your favorite beverage. As Zach Weiss says, get your popcorn, get your favorite sandwich. It's May 1st, it is National Chocolate Parfait Day, so have one of those. We are going to give you everything and more on Across the Cavs, coming right up. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is, as heard on the intro, Across the Cavs. If you think you're listening to something else, you might need to hop out and pull that up. We're not talking about the Cavs. Yes, weird, right? Across the Cavs. No, cat. Well, they're not alive. It is what it is. They made the playoffs. They got their one win. Now we wait and see. What they do in the offseason to try and get better. What we're doing today, and I'll introduce today's guest in just a second, we still have four playoff series going on. Everyone's discussing, talking about. Two of them have started. By the time midnight rolls around this evening, Eastern time, we will have every series having played. So without further ado, we're breaking down every series. We got Brett Usher of the overstated nba show podcast if you haven't seen brett usher on twitter and you want to learn i teach you about the Cavs. anything else head to brett usher's twitter account because there is some great stuff that is at usher nba and he got there before usher himself could get there so that tells you how quick he is brett it's great to introduce you for the first time today
1: Thank you so much for having me, man. It's great to be on here. Been looking forward to this. Um, Always fun talking playoffs, especially in a year like this where the playoffs have been so much fun. A lot of unpredictability, a lot of great storylines, a lot of great matchups. So yeah, I'm just psyched about the whole thing and and can't wait to talk about it So.
0: And Brett, which first round series, obviously there were some crazy upsets, but which first round series intrigued you the most now that we're on to round two?
1: It would have to be Sacramento and Golden State. I think it was just, you know, one of the most epic first round series I've ever seen in all my years of watching basketball, just a really fun brand of basketball and um, a couple of great home crowds, obviously, lots of great players. And of course, it went seven games. And while game seven wasn't the closest, we did get an all time Steph Curry performance. I was definitely rooting for the Kings in that one, Mm -hmm. but it was it was amazing just to see. Uh, what Steph did so that was that was probably the most compelling uh, series for me it's really an all-time classic as far as first rounders go
0: I'm personally shocked that the road team managed to win three straight to end it worst road team in the NBA Golden State you figure if they can't hold home court then it's done but they did hold home court and they managed or that they didn't they blew home court in game six and still managed to come out in game seven and so Brett, that was a 6 beating a 3, but does it feel like in any way, shape, or form an actual upset took place in that series?
1: No, it always felt like a 50-50 series to me, uh, pretty much from the beginning and pretty much all the way through. The only time I had real doubts was like, I didn't think there was any chance SAC was going to win game 6 in San Francisco, and they did. I thought they were done, you know. And then when they won that, I was kind of like, okay, they're they're going to take it in game 7 and then Golden State won that. Like you said, it was the way that the road teams were winning was was pretty wild, but no, it, it definitely didn't feel um like an upset at all. I mean, it's the defending champs. I think probably the majority of people picked them to win the series and and like I said, it was about 50-50 for me in my mind.
0: Yeah, same with me. Heck of a series. A lot of fun in the first round, despite obviously the Cavs losing in five. And the team that beat them, the New York Knicks, Brett, they're playing the Miami Heat. They go from the five seed to, all right, got to win road games, to all of a sudden taking a home court, heading into round two, which they have already lost. Miami taking them down in game one, 108-101 with Obi topping out. We saw 25-11-4 from Jimmy. Kyle Lowry with 18, five, six, and four blocks, maybe one of the best bench performances of the postseason from someone not named Malik Monk, and the Knicks without Julius Randle, Josh Hart, 43 minutes, Brunson 40, Barrett 40, and on the bench, only 10 minutes from Grind, 14 from Hartenstein, and again another bad one from Quickly. So with the one-on lead for Miami here, Brett, and we're not exactly sure when he's coming back. It could be game two. It could be game three. If Julius Randle plays the rest of the way, can you see the Knicks overtaking Miami and winning this series?
1: Absolutely. Uh I'm actually picking the Knicks. Spoiler alert. Uh but but <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, it, it, but a lot of that has to do with uh the presence of Julius Randle assuming he will be back. You know, if he were to miss the next 3 games, I I'd probably have to go with Miami. Um, but assuming he's back for, let's say, game two, I, I still really like the Knicks' chances in this series. Uh, so, yeah, I just I think he's going to cause some real problems for Miami. Um, some of the ways that they defended the Knicks in game one, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do with Randall out there. Uh, I actually think he's going to be maybe their most important player in this series once he gets back, maybe even more so than Brunson, just because, like, you know, how do you defend him if you're the Heat? right like in man if you're matching up like it, are you going to put bam on him and then if, if you do then what are you going to do with mitchell robinson like we saw the impact he had against the calves and where they did a pretty good job on mitchell robinson in game one you know again if randall's out there occupying bam you know i'm not sure M- mitch michael crazy uh so i think the counter to that's going to be we'll, we'll probably see a lot more zone from miami going forward which is obviously what they're known for but we didn't see a ton of it in game one so i i think when Randall returns, it's going to change the way that he'd have to approach uh, guarding this team. So I, I think he's going that's going to be super critical. Uh, hopefully he's back for game two.
0: And if he does make his comeback, Brad, we've seen Randall really struggle. He's played 10 postseason games in New York against the Hawks, 18, 12, and four, but he shot twenty nine point eight percent from the field, 33 from deep. First round against the Cavs, 34% from the field, 14, six, and three. 23% from three, 70% from the line, and he averages four turnovers a game in his 10 playoff appearances. So what do you think is different about Miami than Cleveland's and Atlanta past that would allow Randall to finally have his positive playoff impact?
1: You know, it's just another uh, another high-level offensive player that can create for himself. You know, that that's what he brings to the Knicks. And I just think against Miami, who – is only so deep who only has so many um, really capable defensive players. Like, I just think they're going to be spread a little bit thin, you know, just in game one, it felt like New York was just like a guy short, like Barrett, played well if you look at his numbers you'd think he played fantastic but it was it was an up and down performance i felt like and um you know i just think i think brunson and randall uh is just going to spread miami a little bit too thin for them to be able to deal with guys like like mitchell robinson and and some of the shooting if they go into a zone and grimes you know is is playing more minutes and hitting some threes uh so yeah but there's no question randall uh, was not good uh in round one against the Cavs, and it's it's amazing they were still able to pull out a resounding victory with him playing uh, that poorly. I think it speaks a lot to obviously Mitchell Robinson and, and Jalen Brunson and Barrett at the last couple games, but um, you know, it's no guarantee that that Randall's going to be great, but I just think his presence uh, alone out there and what he's able to do um, as a creator is going to be at least a little bit problematic for Miami.
0: Yeah, and for me personally, I definitely feel a little better knowing Mitchell Robinson's doing this to another team that it's not just that the Cavs were soft. It's just teeth, freaking huge uh, Miami did manage to grab 10 offense rebounds in game one and they're starting power forward. He only played 16 minutes. He had a great closeout game against Milwaukee, Brett. This is Kevin love. He finished with nine, five and four plus three. What are your thoughts on his play this postseason, And do you think he can continue to have an impact with, or, or will he eventually just kind of get overshadowed by Martin who's playing behind him and doing an incredible job in the minutes Kevin would normally play?
1: Uh, I think he's been really good. Uh, It's been, you know, maybe not a seamless fit, but pretty close to it. Yeah, he was outstanding in game one against the Bucs. And then, like you said, also in the closeout game, I think he had 15 and 12. Uh, He's hit 15 three-pointers over six playoff games so far. Um, In game one against the Knicks, we saw his outlet passing. That was some vintage Kevin Love Uh, in the third quarter alone. I think he had three or four outlet passes that directly led to made shots. Um, And then just his ability to space the floor, to stretch out Mitchell Robinson, like when Bam was out and they had Love playing center, like Mitchell Robinson has to come out and guard him. And like the Cavs, for instance, didn't have that. And it's just mm-hmm. funny how the whole Kevin Love thing worked out because it kind of felt like that was exactly the type of player that they could have used in that series against the Knicks, especially now that we see him as a key contributor. Uh, for Miami in a win over that Knicks team. So I think he's been great. I mean, you can only ask so much of him at age 34, um, but he's been good, man. He's held up defensively much better than I would have expected. And then, yeah, just the passing and and the outside shooting and the leadership and the experience and all that, he's been a really nice addition. And, you know, he's got a bigger role than I expected him to have in Miami and maybe even more than he expected I mean, they're they're definitely leaning on him pretty heavily. But, but it's cool to see. And I think, you know, you'd probably know better than me as a Cavs guy. But that seems to be what he's wanted, uh, especially after last season playing so well for the Cavs and then kind of falling out of the rotation this season. So I'm, I'm happy for him. And I think he's been a super valuable part of what the Heat have done this postseason.
0: Yeah, no, Brett, great points. I'm definitely happy for him. You know, I don't hold anything against anybody from the Cavs if they want to leave. If they want a greener pasture, go get it, right? We benched him for Dean Wade, and obviously, Kevin Love, when it's all said and done, might have some comments about it, and I'm sure he's had some discussion with people behind closed doors, but I feel disrespected, too. Like We were confident in Dean Wade's ability, and he just completely let everybody down. That Dean Wade that killed the Knicks beginning of the season, that had had some good games, that won, I think, nine of his first ten starts in Cleveland, he disappeared. He hasn't shown up. He was barely here this year. He didn't get minutes in the postseason after game two because he was unplayable. That's who was sitting. Kevin Love was sitting because of Dean Wade. But no, definitely missed his production. It made sense to let him go. And I'm very, very happy for his success in Miami. Without his third quarter against the Bulls, they might not get a big enough uh, margin. You know He had some really good moments. That game didn't end up being too close as it gotten late, but it was for a while, and Kevin Love helped put that out of reach. And so looking at the guy next to him, Brett, as we start to wrap up on this series, Jimmy Butler again, 25-11-4. He had a 56-point game against the Bucks, 40 in the closeout. Is it far-fetched to call Jimmy Butler the best player in the 2023 postseason?
1: No, not at all. I think he – is the best player, or he has been so far uh, in this postseason. There's been a lot of great players in this postseason, no question. Like, I think Devin Booker certainly deserves a shout out. He averaged like 37 in the first round. Uh, Jamal Murray has been outstanding. Jokic, of course, Curry after that game seven against uh, SAC. I think he averaged about 33 for the series. Even Anthony Edwards in the loss in the first round. Um, there's been a lot of great performances and, and Great players in this postseason. But I think Jimmy is head and shoulders above the rest. Just when you consider, yeah, of course, the 56 point game, historic. What was it like the fourth highest single game yep. scoring performance in playoff history? And then um, just the upset over Milwaukee, you know, a team that a lot of people picked to win the title this year and to just dispatch them so easily, even with uh, maybe not 100% Giannis. Um, that's just an all time performance. And then he kept it up. You know, in in game one against the Knicks, obviously he got hurt. That's going to be a big storyline going forward. Like there's been talk that they might even rest him in game two. Um, You know, he obviously played through it in game one, wasn't himself. They didn't attack him for some reason Um, after the injury, which everyone's kind of been talking about. It was a head scratcher that I'm still trying to figure out. But, uh, yeah, he's there. They obviously need him uh, at 100 percent. And if resting him in game two is what it takes to get him there, uh, they might really want to consider doing it. Because without Jimmy, look, I mean, I I can't believe they're this good without Hero and just with kind of the shallow bench they've had all season. They're making it happen. But they need Jimmy to be close to that level he was at in the first round. And they need it seems like every game they need at least one or two of these you know, Duncan Robinson or Caleb Martin or Kyle Lowry and, you know, game one against the Knicks, these bench guys to step up. So they need a lot to go right. I think just with kind of the, they're just not nearly as talented of a team as the Knicks. Um, they weren't close to the box in terms of talent, but you know, they're making it happen, but they need Jimmy. And um, he's been unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Hopefully he is able to play. If he's not, we'll be, we'll see what happens. Miami's probably the only team in this postseason. That's kind of running a regular season-type rotation. They kind of have to with Tyler Hero not being able to be out there, not Depot going down. Jimmy averages 38 minutes. Brett Bam's at 32 and a half, and then no one else is over 30. They had eight guys averaging at least 20. Obviously, one of them is Oladipo. He's done. And then you add Robinson at 19 minutes a game. I think they personally, speaking, I think they need to get more shots for Max True. He's only taking five a game in the postseason. His shooting as well against Chicago is really, along with Kevin Love, what got them here. Jimmy closed it out, but those two got them to where they needed to be. So should Jimmy be out? I guess we'd see more Lowry, more Martin. and One of them would probably make their first playoff start. And, you know, as we go forward and we now look in the big picture, you said you have the Knicks taking the series, uh, Brett?
1: Yeah, I'm going to say Knicks in six. Oh, yeah, in six.
0: Okay. And that that's yeah, so we're, we're assuming Randall's playing the rest with that expectation. Correct.
1: Correct. Okay. Yeah. If you know, if he were to be out even game two, maybe I, I'd probably still pick the Knicks. But but in seven, I think the Knicks are going to win uh, game two regardless, especially obviously, if Jimmy does sit out. But yeah, Knicks and six, I still feel pretty good about them. Obviously, I mean, they look good in the first quarter you know, of, of game one and they just kind of collapsed in the second half. But I like the way that they match up with Miami and, um, and I think they're going to get it going. I, I still believe in this team. I think they're a very good team. And I think that goes back to that first round series against the Cavs. It's like, everyone's kind of dumping on the Cavs. It's like, maybe it's more that the Knicks are like really good, like better than most people realize. Like, I think that's a, a big part of it. That, that hasn't really been talked about enough. It's, it seems like a lot of negative stuff toward the Cavs, And it's like the Cavs were a really good team. Right, all season. Not perfect. They have their flaws, obviously. Um, but you know, I think that series spoke more to where the Knicks are at. So yeah, I'm still a strong believer in that team. If they were to lose game two, that that changes things, but I'm I'm still pretty confident in them. So I'll say I, six.
0: I respect it. I respect it. Obviously, it would be very impressive for them to pull that off. It can't happen. You know, someone that has to step up who's been absolutely horrible in the postseason. I haven't heard one negative comment out of New York, surprisingly, because they've been winning. As Emmanuel quickly was averaging just 9, 2, and 1 on splits of 34, 28, 83. Not at all his regular season uh, numbers. He was the runner-up for six man of the year. You know, R.J. Barrett was good. Jalen Brunson was okay. 26, 25, 5, and 7. And Barrett, 26, 9, and 7. But you look at the free throws, 12 for 20 to 3, 7 of 34. I think the team that wins the series, and I'll give my prediction in a second, is the team that wins the three-point battle. Out of everything that happens, it's who makes threes. And on the misses, we know that New York will get a lot of offensive rebounds, but it matters to get these baskets. Miami plus 18 and three-pointers as far as points scored off of them. I'm going to go Heat in six to counter your Knicks in six. Even if Jimmy takes a game, they may lose one. But I, I trust the Miami crowd is going to kind of sound like what it's been these last couple of years. You know, obviously, this these aren't the LeBron Heat. They're not even close. But I feel like the crowd is going to play a part. It hasn't played a part in Miami's years since LeBron left. But I feel like going to get that LeBron level of noise from those Wade, Bosh, James teams. Like, this is just a team that's special. In Miami, you know, there's always things to do, but everyone wants to watch this team with the best player of the postseason. So should Jimmy sit game two? That's fine. They'll come back to Miami, and I think they'll get it done in six, and that'll take us to that series. And then we'll get to the Celtics Sixers in just a couple seconds, but a simple yes-no answer here, Brett. Does the winner of this series, whether I'm correct or you are, have a real chance to get to the finals, or is that next year as you are about to discuss going to produce the, co- the likely conference champion?
1: I feel pretty strongly that the other series is going to produce the conference champion. Uh, I think, I think the ceiling for the Knicks and the heat is probably conference finals um, this season, but either way, man, that's going to be one of just a very small handful of teams seated five or lower to make it that far in like the last 25 years. Uh, It really doesn't happen very often. So even if that's as far as whichever team wins goes, um, that still should be considered a pretty successful season. But I think the uh, I think the the representative in the finals is gonna be coming out of that Celtic Sixers series.
0: Yes, indeed, a series that will not have Joel Embiid on the court. And just a reminder, folks, it is 402 Eastern time at this moment. So as we speak about this, this is just a couple hours away from the start of game one. And with Embiid out, the opening game line is Boston minus nine and a half. So the first question here, right off the bat, Brett. We don't know how much time Embiid's going to miss, but is it possible for them to win this series without him?
1: No. No, I don't think they stand a chance without him. And I actually didn't even realize he was um, officially out. Uh, not I, official. I know doubtful, it's, it's, which,
0: he's doubtful. I don't expect him to play, personally.
1: No, I, I, don't, I don't either. Not in game one, maybe not even in game two. Yeah, doubtful, and it sounds like it was more than just like a grade one sprain in that right knee. Um, there might even been some, a little bit of a tear. So like he's in pain. Like it's, it's not looking great uh, for that. So I think we'll, I think there's a good chance we'll see him at some point during this series. But if he were to just not play at all in the series, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think they stand a chance against the Celtics. And then even with Embiid, um, like a reduced version of, of Embiid, even like 60% of Embiid, I, again, I think he, he's going to have to be at his best for them to beat the Celtics. And, I'm not sure that's even possible. And it's such a bummer because we have never seen Joel Embiid healthy for an entire playoff run. It just, it has never happened. It's always, you know, varying severity of injuries, but he's always dealing with something in the postseason. So as a basketball fan, that's pretty disappointing. Like, like here we go again. But you know, I'm sure he'll try to play through it if he can. But uh, but yeah, if he if he's out, I, I don't see how they do it.
0: Because playing Paul Reed, I guess we'd have the same thought here, Brett, and then uh, confirm this after. Paul Reed's a good big man, but he's kind of just a Tristan Thompson or a, a once-good Montrez Harold type, right? He's going to hang near near the basket. He's going to grab rebounds, give you second chances. But on the other side of the floor, he's not a deterrent because of his lack of height and the vertical that you get from Embiid. So he's kind of just there grabbing rebounds. but you're going to think Boston's just going to have an easy time inside and right? they're going to eat them alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Boston's a big team, you know, not just like their big guys, like, you know, Horford and time Lord aren't the biggest centers, but just their, their wings, you know, I mean, just having Tatum and Brown, like those, those are legit, like big dudes. So and they're going to attack the rim obviously. And, um, you know, if the Sixers don't have MB protecting the rim, that's, that's going to be a, a big problem. I think they've, I think just, being able to guard the Jays. Um, I, I'm not sure they even have the wings to do that. I just, I think this is a pretty tough matchup for the Sixers, no matter what. And I think their their only real hope to me of winning this series would be, you know, Embiid at his very best going crazy. Cause I'm not sure the Celtics would have an answer for that, but I just, I don't know if we're going to see that now. It's kind of a bummer, even though I'm kind of a Celtics fan. I, You know, you want to see these teams at their best, no matter what.
0: And we're going to talk about the Celtics in a second, Brett, but how worried should the Sixers be? James Harden has been getting his assists. He's been making his plays that he's only nine for 34. I didn't even know this till just now. He's nine for 34 inside the arc. I don't even know how that's humanly possible with his game, but he's shooting less than 28% from two, 43% from three is fine. But how worried should they be if Embiid is out that Harden is, is shooting so low from the field?
1: Yeah, that's that's a real concern for sure, because it's like, you know, how are you really going to pressure the rim? I think that's where, you know, Maxi could be really important for them, too. But yeah, Harden just like, you know, run him off the three point line. And if Embiid's not there, like that pick and roll just loses like all its potency. Um, So, you know, they're going to need him to be a lot better. I think it goes without saying, Um, you know, vintage Harden. They're they're gonna need like a, a master class from him, I think, to to probably pull out a win in in any of these games that Embiid's not playing. But yeah, that's certainly concerning. I didn't realize it had been that rough um, from him yeah. inside the arc. That's crazy.
0: More threes than twos, and he all he does is go to the basket and shoot threes. He's playing the old Dan Tony style. And as we look at Boston here, Brett, we know that Brown is great and Tatum is great, not good, great. We know what Marcus Smart has done before. Everyone's shooting at a high percentage. Seems like Derek White, as a starter, is really giving them a nice lift. He's playing the best overall ball of his career. Obviously, the only time he's ever been better was that one game against Denver in the playoffs. I remember him dropping 35 when he's not a guy you expect to score 35. And Al hasn't scored, but he's been a defensive monster. And we look at everyone that they're playing. It's an eight man rotation. They're pretty much shifting between Grant Williams and Sam Houser than they got. Rob, Brogdon, Smart, White, Horford, Brown, Tatum. Out out of all these guys, who is the ultimate X-Factor for the Celtics, Brett, that's going to prove you right and show that the Celtics cannot be beat in this series?
1: A couple different directions I could go on this one. I'm going to go with Marcus Smart, though, as the X-Factor, just because I feel like the Celtics are just so much better when he's at his best. And obviously, he, along with Derek White, are going to be critical in slowing down Maxie and Harden who are the guys you really have to worry about if Embiid is out. So, I think um yeah, guarding those two guards and then also running the offense on the other end. Like I just think they're going to need a really nice Marcus Smart series to sort of ensure a victory. So, if there is an X factor for them, I I'd, I'd probably go with Marcus. Um he was, you know, he was pretty darn good in the first round against Atlanta. Uh we saw his defense in the closeout game. Um but yeah, they're going to they're going to need him because Maxi and Harden could still be problematic for sure. I'm not overly worried about them if I'm the Celtics, but you know, that's, that's going to be the priority. Yeah. Marcus,
0: out. yeah no question. And you, and you think about Marcus smart who can score great passer, elite defender, former DPOI. That was just last season. It's got that Deion waiters. over for nine, rather be over 30 confidence. He's not going to shoot 30 times, but he's not someone that's ever scared of the moment. He's not the guy you want taking big shots and he's drawn flack for that in the past, but he's someone you can always trust at any time in the game, which is huge that they can play five guys that are always ready to take the shot. And obviously he's been starting. He had been coming off the bench earlier in his career and Boston was great again. They went 57 and 25 this year, second in the East, They the de facto one seed with the bucks out of the picture, you know, number one net rating in the league. Top five in offense, top five in defense. But Brett, my final question, then we'll pick winners from this series. We know what they can do. We know what Philly can do. But both teams, Philly maybe more so, have coaches that are kind of holding them back. Joe has not done the best job. He's had some questionable uh, decisions. His matchup changes haven't been great. Which coach do you actually trust more? Not to win, Not which team's going to win. Which coach do you trust more to make the right moves in this series?
1: That's a good question, and, and that's a tough one. I, I always have a hard time talking about coaching. You know, like, I, Missoula obviously had a very good season coaching. You know, it's like, how much of that did he sort of pick up just where Ime Udoka left off? I mean, I know, you know, he, he kept a lot of his stuff, obviously. Um, but then, you know, he's got no playoff experience as a head coach. Like this is This is his first go-round, whereas Doc, you know, people are always critical of Doc. Say what you want about him. He's definitely had some pretty bad – Uh, playoff failures, but he's got as much experience as just about anybody in the NBA. So, you know, I I, I don't think either one of these coaches is really going to torpedo it uh, for their team, but um, I I don't know. Maybe I'd trust Doc a little more just because of the experience, but maybe that's also where I'm just not as worried about the Celtics um, coaching where like I've said before, like I almost feel like you could take this Celtics team and just run them out there like without a coach like they have they have so much continuity they've been playing together for so long when you look at smart and the jays and horford and even williams now like these guys have been together forever and uh so i you know i i think maybe the coaching's not as important on the boston end if that makes sense i, like, I just i trust their players so much more but uh but you know doc doc has a lot of experience uh so i I'll, I'll guess i'll go with him on that and that's just in that sense
0: no, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. You know, we'll we'll see what what ultimately happens. And Zuma's been called out. It's not perfect. It's hard to coach in the league. But we've seen a number of first-year head coaches have instant success, including Steve Kerr with Golden State, doing what Mark Jackson couldn't, getting them all the way to the end and into the finals. And then more recently, Nick Nurse in his first season, able to get his team a title. But first-year head coaches have had some great moments. Or first-year first coaches, first-time coaches. We'll, so we'll see what happens with Missoula. Like like uh, with Nurse, Casey took him to round two, knocked out by LeBron while he was coach of the year. You replace him, you switch some players from conference to conference, you get Kawhi, you win. So obviously Boston was two wins short of the finals. They made it last year. So with uh, with another first-year coach, just, uh, circumstances happen, Now he's coaching in Houston. That's really not a discussion I have today. And so, all things considered then, Brett, sounds like you trust Doc, but you got the Celtics. How many games is this series going to last?
1: Oh, man. I'm going to say six. Um, Because I do expect Embiid to come back at some point. I don't have any real basis for that. Um, Just the fact that he's, you know, he's doubtful. He's not out. You can't read too much into those labels. You know, I know sometimes they'll be just trying to not show their hand you know to the opposing team where like they could know that he's out but they just want the Celtics to still be kind of game planning for him I'm not sure about that but I think he'll come back at some point and he'll get them at least at least one win um six feels like kind of a kind of a safe pick uh but I feel very strongly about the Celtics five games wouldn't surprise me I don't think it's going to be a sweep um and I don't think it's going to go seven so I'll, I'll settle on six
0: okay so I got two ways this can go if Embiid comes back at any point, I would actually go Philly. I, I think for so many years, it just it hasn't worked. Something's gone wrong. I feel confident if he's able to play, they can do it. I think seeing what Paul Reed has done, still, they'd be lacking their rim protection. But he's been okay. He's been better than we could have imagined he would be. That game against the Nets, he went toe-to-toe with Claxton. Obviously, the Nets were a very different team. But it was very impressive. He dominated the offensive glass. I would take the Sixers in seven if he's able to play at all whenever he comes back. And if he doesn't come back healthy, if he has a small impact, if he's not tearing it up, then I would probably switch that to, say, Celtics in six. It's going to be a fun series for sure, and I also agree that the conference winner will come out of the East. And so we go to the West, Denver and Phoenix. Nuggets scoring 125 on the Suns in game one. It's really not a surprise. The media tried to make it sound like Denver had no chance, but Jokic 24 19 and 5. Murray with 34 5 and 9. Aaron Gordon 23 and 6. The little three man bench rotation of Christian Brown, Jeff Green, and Bruce Brown combining for seven steals, 11 rebounds, 20 points. Bruce was plus 21 in this game. He's almost a de facto sixth starter. Brooklyn is just so dumb. I don't understand why they chose Patty Mills over him. That is Denver's mm-hmm. gain. On the other side, Brett, I'm gonna come into the discussion in a moment. Booker 27, four and eight. Durant 29 and 14. But all that matters. Booker minus 18. Durant minus 20. The bench was horrendous. One basket for Shamit. One for Craig as they switched a Kogi into the lineup. Damian Lee was invisible. Jock Landale is the only bench player to do anything outside of garbage time, seven and two plus five. Uh, if I'm Phoenix, I'm switching Terrence Ross in the rotation. I'd be putting in TJ Warren. I want guys that are scorers that just give on the ball and let them score. Cause you have Booker and Duran. I feel like they have absolutely nothing else. So my first question as we, as we come in here, do you think, and obviously they're the, the one seed they got home court. They got the altitude advantage. Is Jokic and his current cast enough to tear down this Suns and put Suns in four in the past?
1: Yeah, I think so. I you know, I, I think it's gonna be a good series, but I think I think they've got enough. Finally, because you know, you can go back through these Jokic teams. Like, we've never seen anything like this. Obviously, Jamal Murray has missed the last two seasons. That's huge. The last time we had seen him in the postseason was the bubble. So he's been out, you know, forever with that that ACL. And then um Michael Porter Jr missed the playoffs last year. And then you know they brought they brought in Aaron Gordon, so you have this great four player core, but we've never seen them together in the postseason until now. So I think just having those four guys healthy, you know, plus the additions of KCP and Bruce Brown who are just excellent fits with this team with their skill sets what they bring from a defensive standpoint and with Caldwell-Pope with the shooting Bruce Brown with his cutting uh some of his playmaking so this is just a completely different Nuggets team i, I don't think we can really even read into like the Suns and Four or, like any any of the previous history of the the Jokic era this is a a much better team and a much healthier team and yeah i do i think they have enough to not only beat this Suns team but to make the finals, and um, but I, you know, at, at the same time, I d- I don't think we should be counting out the Suns mm-hmm. either, based off that game, or even based off that and their first round series. Like I, this is still a very dangerous team. Um, I think both teams have their deficiencies, but uh, but yeah, it's a fun matchup. And and to answer your question, yeah, I do I do think Denver has enough for sure.
0: And we'll talk about the Suns in just a minute, Brett, because there is a lot to say, but. Denver's gone to an eight-man rotation for the playoffs, switching it from how they ended the regular season. It's Bruce Brown 6, Jeff Green 7. As you tweeted yesterday, Christian Brown, the only rookie in the NBA seeing regular rotational minutes at this point in the season. Tells you all you need to know. The guys behind him in the rotation are Peyton Watson, who was incredible to end the regular season. I'm very surprised he's not getting minutes. Vlatko Chanchar, Reggie Jackson, Zeke Naji, Ish Smith, and the two veteran backup bigs, Thomas Bryant and DeAndre Jordan. So my question here, Brett, Denver's fine with the eight-man rotation, but if foul trouble comes up or Jokic goes down or Murray, whatever, you have to take one guy from that bottom seven to to throw in. Who would you say comes in first? Because I feel like there's going to be a time where Denver needs one of these currently out-of-rotation players to win them a do-or-die game.
1: That's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I might actually go with Zeke Najee. Uh, maybe that's just because I personally like him the best out of that group. I love Peyton Watson, but, you know, he's a very young rookie with very little experience. I I, I don't think it's realistic to put him in um, in this series, but I'd probably go with Naji. He's got a little more experience. He's a really interesting player. I'm surprised he wasn't a bigger part of things for them this season. It seems like whenever he gets an opportunity, you know, he plays well, uh, he can shoot the ball, can defend a little bit. He's obviously got got good size. So, you know, I think if they need another big uh, in addition to Jokic and Jeff Green, like maybe maybe they look in his direction. Um, he's not exactly a rim protector, but that's, you know, kind of their most glaring weakness is, is rim protection. So maybe just to get um, a little bit more size out there at some point, depending on how the Suns um, are succeeding in attacking them that that might be the guy. I almost forgot Reggie Jackson was on the team. Um, you know, yes. I, I thought I thought he was going to be a bigger part of things too, but I guess they just haven't, haven't felt the need to use him too much.
0: Yeah, he fit wasn't great. This is very different from the Reggie Jackson that looked like, looks like a playoff goat for a couple of minutes while he was playing for the Clippers in the bubble a couple of or not in the bubble, right after the bubble the conference finals trip. He was unstoppable hitting these crazy shots. Obviously reinvented himself when he started wearing the goggles. Personally, I would go him or Ish Smith. They have the one thing that they struggled to do all year long, Brett, right, Was replace the Monte Morris minutes. He was Murray's replacement for a few years. He spent a lot of time with his organization. He was the real tough-to-see-go guy. Not Will Barton, but him when they did acquire KCP. But there looks like they're doing that with Christian Brown. He's been just fine as a combo guard. They're doing great. Michael Porter Jr. Still has no playoff turnovers, which is pretty wild to me that we're into round two. And and that hasn't happened yet. He doesn't make a ton of passes, but still a couple assists, a couple steals. So I'd go Reggie or Ish. Ish Smith hasn't been talked about this year. You know, He hasn't played a ton, but he's someone that I trust. Had some good playoff experience with the Wizards and they were playing the Sixers a few years ago. He's played for every team and that team's team, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. We don't know if it's going to happen, but you got Zeke, I got Ish, and Vernaji. No real playoff minutes in his career. It's an all-garbage minutes or two-minute stretches. This is now his third postseason go-round. Well, let's talk about these Suns, Fred. As we talk about Duran, we talk about Booker, and this was my thought when the trade was made. I thought, oh, great for the Nets. The Nets are going to have lottery picks within a couple of years. Aiden doesn't want to be there. Chris Paul is... As old as LeBron James at this point, pretty much. KD's health has been horrible. We look at game one. He turned it over seven times, 29 and 14. Him and Booker were fine, though. 56 points, 18 rebounds, nine assists, five blocks. I don't trust a single other player on this team to make a big play. So do you think the lack of depth outside of those two and maybe outside that starting lineup just pretty much says there's nothing they can do in this series to win?
1: No, no, I I wouldn't say that. I mean, yeah, I do think their starting five is pretty fantastic. Like, I, I got no real complaints about that. I mean, obviously, the Aiton effort thing was a problem in game one. Like, like they're going to need more from him, especially in this matchup. And I think they might need to run some more stuff through Chris Paul. But when we start looking at their depth, it's it's certainly a concern. Um, I think what it comes down to is it's just going to be a big burden on the starters you know, going forward. And then that's kind of the question is like, how many minutes can Durant play? Can Booker sustain this level of play? If he's playing 40 minutes a game, what about Chris Paul? Obviously you can't play him 40 minutes a game. So that that's kind of the problem. So if, if the starters can, can play big minutes and sustain their production, then, you know, they might be able to get by despite their bench, but that the bench is a real problem. And I, you mentioned Terrence Ross earlier, like, yeah, how is he not better than, Landry Shamit, like Uh I, you know, I can't get inside Monty Williams head, but just from where I stand, it's like, he should be playing. Um, Same with TJ Warren, another guy that you mentioned, like he didn't play at all. As far as I know in, in game one. And then another guy that I personally like is Darius Baisley. Now he's not going to give them the shooting that they might need, but he's a very athletic uh, 22 year old with great length um, who can really defend. Like he's a legitimately good defender and a very versatile defender. Um, I don't think he's going to see the court in the playoffs. I don't think Monty trusts him for whatever reason, but he's a guy that I wish they had given a little more run to in the regular season and maybe given him a chance to kind of earn a spot. Cause I feel like maybe they could use him and look again, like we're talking about Jock Landale and Bismack Biombo and Landry Shamit. Like the, the, <laughs> the bar is not that high right now. So to give guys like Warren Ross and Baisley a look would make some sense to me. I think Tori Craig will be better. It'll be interesting to see if they stick with the Kogi in the starting five or if maybe they swap cuz they've kind of been swapping between those two depending on matchup and I know they want a Kogi in there to guard Jamal Murray but I think uh maybe they give Craig a look but either way man the depth is a real concern and um you know it's funny cuz the Nuggets aren't even known as a deep team at all I mean like you said yep. their rotation's just Brown Brown and Jeff Green off the bench but that bench feels far superior to the Suns bench, and yep. that kind of gives you an idea.
0: <laughs> hey, yeah, you're watching these Suns, and I'm kind of being reminded of the OKC Thunder. Oh, I didn't watch a ton for the first half of the season, admittedly, but I'd look at the box score, and they'd have eight to nine reserves playing every game, and I'd wonder what on earth that's like. What are they doing? Why? What? What yeah. is Ty- all doing? They're Dig- all rather, but I I don't like what I see, and I'll be honest, I actually like the players on the Suns bench. But I'd like it better if they had a cemented starting five first. Obviously, you have to pull the trigger for KD if that's there, 10 times out of 10. But, I mean, his injury did cost them a lot of things, including positioning and forcing them into this type of second-round matchup, you know, of course. And their their bench is bad as far as what it's replacing. Cameron Payne's only got garbage minutes. Biombo. And Landale, Landale can score, but you don't, you can't trust these guys because you don't have a cemented five. They're, they're still trying to figure it out. And I feel like Denver with their three man is better. Eons better. Like I got Torrey Craig. Honestly, I, I get what they want to do with a Kogi. I'd rather start Craig because he can actually score regularly the way he was doing against the Clippers. A Kogi is really only good. If you put him at the four, that's when he was at his best in the regular season. So you know, we'll, we'll obviously see. And so on that son's note, Brad, and we've gone deep on them, which player has to step up the most for them to really have a chance, try and steal one on the road and send the series back one, one, and eventually win it, if that's even possible with this assortment of guys.
1: I think it's got to be eight. You know, I think he, he's just, he's got to be better. He's got to step it up. We know what he's capable of. Like we've seen him at his best and and how good he is. You know, the Nuggets have seen him at his best and how good he is. Uh, you know, I, I think the key is really going to be the pick and roll, you know, putting Jokic in that action. And that's going to, I think, should come down to Chris, Paul, and Aiton. I think they should go more to that, just that traditional Paul, Aiton, pick and roll with shooters spacing the floor. Um, but, you know, a lot of things have to go. You have to have shooters, right? Like you mentioned, it, it hurts that they lost probably their two best three-point shooters in Mikhail and Cam, uh, but now, you know, you have Durant and Booker shooters, obviously, out there. And then that's where it's like, yeah, maybe you would rather go with Craig than a Kogi, just to space them out a little bit. Because if you have a guy you can help off so easily, like a Kogi, then it makes that pick and roll uh, a little less effective. But I, so I think, it, you know, but Aiton's got to do his part. And Chris Paul's got to do his part, too, knocking down those short jump shots um, that Jokic will give him if he's in drop. And, you know, obviously making a great pass to Aiden. Ayton, but Aiton's got to just be decisive. He's got to set good screens. He's got to finish strong at the rim he's got to attack Jokic so like there's you know I I think you could look at some of the bench guys too like we've been talking about that you know like yeah Landry Shamit could step up and have a great series shooting the ball that would be huge for them but if we're talking about like the main guys i think hayton is the clear choice right here because it applies to both ends too not just offensively with the pick and roll but defensively guarding Jokic. like we all saw the clips of him kind of standing around when you know when Jokic was going for rebounds it's like he, he's gonna have to put out more effort than that so hopefully um all the all the backlash after game one kind of lit a fire under him and we get to see a really motivated uh mean deandre hayton out there on the court They need him.
0: Yeah, they absolutely do need him. And that's why there's, you know, they they paid him that money. They knew his situation, how he felt. They paid him anyway. And biggest surprise to me, and I know he has less touches and playmaking chances because of Booker Durant, but Chris Paul, who's always been that foul merchant, similar to Embiid, similar to these other guys with the rip through, but Chris Paul is is averaging less than a free throw per game. He's been overtaken by Booker and Durant on that. They're using his move, but Chris Paul barely getting to the line has certainly been a surprise. So all said and done, Brett. So first, actually, we'll go part one here. Who's winning tonight? We got pulling up the lines. We got Denver minus four for game two. Who's cover? Who's winning tonight?
1: Yeah, I, I like Denver in game two as well. Obviously, they've got a great home court advantage. Um, I, uh, I think they take this one as well. I think they go up 2-0. And then are
0: they winning the series as well?
1: In my opinion, yes. And that's tough for me because the moment that the KD trade happened, I picked the Suns to come out of the West. And I kind of stuck with that the whole time, even through the first round series. I think I tweeted about it. I said, there's no, you know, there's nobody I'm picking over the Suns in a seven game series. I don't care about their bench. It's KD and Booker. They're going to be so hard to stop. Um, but after seeing the Nuggets in the first round against Minnesota, and then of course in game one against Phoenix, uh, I, I feel like the Nuggets are going to take this one. I, I'm going to say seven games. I think it's going to be a, a really good series. Like I, like I said, I'm not prepared to count out KD book, Chris Paul, like they're going to make a series out of it. I'll be shocked if it's, you know, ends in four or five or something like that. So I'm going to say nuggets in seven. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm picking a team over the suns, but just based on everything I've seen, that's uh that's going to be the direction I go on that.
0: Yeah, no, I, I respect it. You know, we, we will see what winds up happening. I, I I like that. It's certainly going to be fun. It's going to be a, great series it might not last that long we're gonna see i'm gonna go nuggets in six five just feels like an insult to, to the talent they have you know i don't think they're gonna pull it out and then we'll see what the future looks like from there because yeah. teams are gonna try and target eight again this summer we're already starting to see the mavericks reports you know indiana tried last summer they would have flipped turner now they've since extended turner so i don't expect that to happen I think they paid him because they liked what he brought with the rebuilding bunch. I I think Turner's a better influence on young players than Aiton at this point. So maybe the Pacers are lucky that uh, they didn't wind up getting him. But I'm going to go Nuggets tonight as well. I think they'll cover minus four. And then I'll go Nuggets in six. So we got one series left. It is the Warriors and the Lakers. You wouldn't know it's a six versus seven from how it's being discussed. It certainly doesn't feel like it. And as we, we come into this one, Brett, the Warriors, as a six seed get a home court''ll we'll, we we'll make our predictions, but de- in your eyes, is the home court advantage itself enough for the Warriors to advance?
1: It could be the deciding factor. it's a it's a significant home court advantage, like, even though, you know, they lost game six in the last round, they almost lost um another one too to the Kings, but uh I, still it's a it's a still a massive home court advantage that's a very tough place to escape uh from with a w so yeah i mean i think it it could be the deciding factor so i think it's a pretty even matchup
0: yeah it's gonna be another fun one that Steph curry chris weber moment Timeout. didn't have any left right <laughs> but, <laughs> lucky they can joke about it clay thompson just he's had his moments in the postseason. he's also had some real duds but that win did allow them the, the chance to joke. Yeah, Steph 34, 5 and 5 in the first rounds, uh, another master class. And the Lakers certainly turned it around midseason. They did a really good job. and But still, Brett, this really everyone's going to want to talk about two players. There's some great role players in this series: Kevon Looney, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves. Obviously, we got Anthony Davis and we got Draymond, but it's it's Steph and it's LeBron. Do you think that now that they're getting together for a fifth time, that this battle could possibly still, not being in the finals, be the best one they've had yet?
1: Um, It's maybe in a way the most interesting because they're just, they're so much older now. Um, Neither one of these teams is like a juggernaut, like the way those prime peak warriors teams were, or even like, you know, bronze Cavs teams, like they these teams aren't on that level, right. They're, they're flawed. They're the Lakers, like you said, just kind of pieced things together at the deadline. It was an unbelievable deadline, like one of the best ever. I think I can already say just based on the fact that they're in the second round of the playoffs, Um, you know, from where they were earlier in the season. But at the same time, like those guys are all still pretty new uh, with the Lakers. Like um, Russell obviously played there before, but Vanderbilt and Beasley. So, uh, and then you have the Warriors who like, you know, defending champs, obviously, but weren't great this regular season. Definitely, you know, dealt with injuries and absences, lost a couple of important players, plugged a couple guys in, pool's been kind of inconsistent. So I think in in a sense, it might be the most like compelling because we're seeing them in the second round, in the same conference. This is the first time, other than that, uh, th- I think they met in the play-in, but other than that, that the Warriors have played the Lakers in the postseason, you know, in, like, the Steph era. So it's it's like a new look. It's like a new look of an old rivalry. So it's kind of – I'm super excited about it. And, I, and like I said, I think it's a really – I think they're evenly matched teams. They're very different teams, you know, very different in the way they play and just the makeup of their rosters but i think when you look at it in the big picture it's like a pretty even matchup so yeah i'm i'm hyped for this one
0: yeah and uh the better news obviously you're in hawaii you got you got you're lucky with your time zone here for for this series but thankful on the east coast it's a 10 a 9 and an 8 30 start for the first three games so really not bad nba could have certainly done a lot worse Game two game one is gonna to be tomorrow night, Tuesday the second at 10. So really not horrible at all. And you know, we, we got a lot to talk about with this series. We're gonna talk about the stars, but I want to start here, Brett. Malik Beasley and Troy Brown were absolutely horrible in the first round. If you want these numbers, folks, listen to this. Troy Brown played 15 minutes a game. He averaged two points, three rebounds, shooting splits of 31, 0, percent 31.3 from the field, 9.1% from three and no free throws. And Malik Beasley, 29.2 from the field, did not take many threes, and he made overall 26%. Isn't it? Should it be Lonnie Walker time? I mean, we saw what he did with the Spurs. We know what he did at the start of the season. Shouldn't he be in for these two at this point? We know Troy Brown could defend. And they don't need the production as much as some other teams because they get enough from their stars. But I feel like Brett throwing in Lonnie Walker is going to space the floor so much nicer than either of these guys.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, Lonnie shot the three ball well this year, right? I mean, I'm not exactly, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know for a while there, he was, you know, around 40%. 37 at
0: the end of the year, 36, five.
1: Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, that's very respectable. And, um, like, you know, Beasley's supposed to be this great shooter uh, and he's just been up and down kind of since he's been with the Lakers. So, you know, I think I think he's probably still the guy they look for to, to really space the floor. This, the Troy Brown Jr. thing, I don't really understand. Um, I would certainly prefer Lonnie over him. I'm a big yeah. Lonnie fan. I have been for a long time. I just think he's such a special athlete and and a better shooter than his numbers over the last few years would show. I felt like Agreed. he just needed a change of scenery. He got to LA and he was awesome. Like he was really like one of the better bench players in the league um, until he kind of fell out of the rotation a little bit. And then even then it was like, yeah, there was that one game. I forget when it was, you know, late in the regular season where he just reemerged in the rotation and scored like 22 or something. So like the guy can really play. It seems like Schroeder is the guard that, that they really like. And they're probably going to be leaning on um off the bench in this series against, Golden State. But yeah, Lonnie's a guy that's there waiting in the wings that, you know, if they feel like they need a different look or a little bit of offensive punch or a little bit of athleticism, he's a guy that's great in transition. Um, Maybe that's a guy they do give a look to. I would certainly look at him ahead of uh, Troy Brown. I'm just not sure what Troy Brown really offers them. He's he's solid, I guess. But
0: yeah. But yeah, the the
1: Beasley thing's been disappointing. Like I actually thought Beasley was going to be there starting too. Same, you know, going forward, like in Reeves would be the guy off the bench. Obviously, Reeves has earned that starting spot, but it's surprising that Beasley hasn't been a bigger part of things in the postseason. It just hasn't been better uh, when he has been out there. So, yeah, that's uh, I hey, but as far as Lonnie, I, I hope we do see him. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. I can't, I don't know what the what ham's concerns are with him, if it's defense, if it's just inconsistency, but. Yeah,
0: We'll definitely see. Troy Brown was not getting many minutes in Washington or Chicago while the teams were solid. He was not part of that, so I would also personally love to see Lonnie. And to answer your question, but it was March 24th. He dropped 20 against the Thunder, and then he kind of exited the rotation again. Hasn't seen big minutes since. And Yeah. We'll see, though. I, I, we'd both love to see it. Obviously, I don't know if our opinions reach reach the GMs. years would be great if they did. But, you know, it's just
1: they... like he was just, but, you know, he's just behind Schroeder and uh-huh. Beasley. Like, that's kind of how it's been ever since the deadline, anyway. And they like
0: Schroeder there. They like Schroeder. And, yeah, I and now, it's, now it's it
1: the playoffs. They're going to shorten the rotation. It's going to be Schroeder and Rui and um, maybe, maybe Wendy and Gabriel. Or, you know, so it's, it's just like a kind of a victim of some depth, increased depth, and, and now a shortened playoff rotation. But that's my guy. Yeah, I'm with
0: that, too. Loved him on the Spurs as well and in college. And so here's the underlying thing, and then we'll predict. Last point. Can – we know that Wiggins is going to be fine defending Steph and Clay, Poole's going to – whatever. Bench, Steven Chenzo and Peyton, and everyone else will be fine. Can Draymond and Looney stop Anthony Davis? Because I think that as great as the Warriors' scoring is, before we make our prediction, if you can't stop Anthony Davis – then all 48 minutes are gonna feel grueling every game. He's gonna play probably 40 at this point, as long as he holds up. Do you trust those two for the Warriors to slow him down enough that where they can really have an impact?
1: Yeah, I think they can contain him. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna stop him. He's got a big advantage, obviously, just in terms of his length and his height. And also, I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. He's one of the best big men ever. I mean, he's he's Anthony Davis. Um, it'll be interesting to see, uh, what he can do from a jump shooting standpoint. Like if he can, if he can have that mid range going or even out to the three point line, kind of like he did in the bubble, um, and pull those guys away from the rim like that, that could be, that could be big. Um, you know, I like the way that, that they used him in the closeout game against Memphis. Like he was just more of a play finisher. Like, I, I don't like it so much when they try to run everything through him. Uh, I, I like that sort of balance that they had there. So I wonder if we'll if we'll kind of see more of that, where maybe he's not getting like this huge amount of field goal attempts. like, I think he's going to be a play finisher. And I think his real impact is going to be on the other end, um, you know, protecting the rim much like he did against the Grizzlies. Although the Warriors are a a different team, they play a different style. Obviously Uh, they're going to shoot a lot more jump shots, but still, I think he's going to be a huge factor defensively. And um, it's something they'll look to exploit on the offensive end, but I've just been so impressed with Looney. Like, obviously, him and Draymond are, you know, a lot smaller than AD, but they're strong. Looney's real strong. He can move his feet a lot better than you would think. And um, he's a tough dude. So I think he'll do an admirable job at the very least on AD.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with it. It's going to be a lot of fun and putting Vanderbilt next to him. He's not going to play a ton, but starting out games and switching is going to be very difficult. Because you don't want Vanderbilt or Davis on you on the outside. You're just gonna have to live with whoever's there. I think they're gonna try and go at D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder's proven to be a solid defender, but over anyone else that they're gonna have on the court, you'd have to take the point guard defense. Has won the Lakers a lot of games. LeBron's been fantastic in the playoffs, 37 minutes a game leading the team. Both teams are gonna have their moments. We got stars everywhere. So, Greg, got to ask you the hardest question since anyone asked you to predict the Kings Warriors series who's winning this series and punching their ticket to the conference finals,
1: man, it's tough. It's tough. Like I, I really want to pick the Lakers. Cause I, I know I'm going to be rooting for the Lakers in this one, but, uh, you know, you mentioned the home court advantage right off the bat that that's a big factor. And then I just think the warriors have without question, the best player in this series in Steph Curry. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick the warriors. Um, I'm going to go. I feel like I I pick seven a lot, but I feel like it's going to be seven. (laughs) I think this one's going to, going to come down to the wire. I think they both, the Lakers have a good home court too, man. They really do. That probably doesn't get talked about enough. So I could just see the, probably the home team just winning like every game. If I had, if I had to, if I had to guess, you know, and uh, I just, you know, the Lakers guards are really going to be tested defending the warriors and all their actions between Poole and Thompson and curry obviously um just running around everywhere like that's going to be a big challenge for guys like Schroeder and reeves and i mean yeah delo is going to be the guy that they target like you said it'll be interesting to see if um i know they put you know they guarded job ja with vanderbilt in in round 1 like will yep. they try that on on curry will they stick vando on curry right off the bat and just see what that looks like but i think their guards are really going to be tested and um and i think looney's probably going to do a better job on ad than than most people would expect and uh, yeah, I'm go Warriors in seven. That right. that's a tough one. That's a tough one. i it, I think it's gonna be a really good series.
0: And I know we've been making predictions. I don't think I can make one on this series. I think I just got to eat it and say take a cop out because I I don't know how to lean. Obviously, it my my inside thought is, and this is the first time in a while since he left again. Like I really want LeBron to win this year. Like I didn't think he'd get another chance. And we were all talking about him riding away early in the season. Like, I want that to happen. But in the same breath, you know, the the disdain for the Warriors that obviously we all had for a few years in Cleveland is is good. That's gone. Like, I love what the Warriors are doing. I loved watching them in the final. I think Curry and the Warriors offense is the most fun in the league to watch as a fan. So I'm just hoping for a good series, just like with the Kings, where I was also torn on who to pick. And I guess, Brett, what what we want is everyone stays healthy, no suspensions and we get a full series and may the best team win. I think that's the best product we can have as fans and people that break down the league like this.
1: Yeah, no question, especially when it's two older teams. That's the thing about the Warriors and the Lakers. Like, they're both pretty veteran-heavy teams, so that's where, like, yeah, you you know, you you need everyone to stay healthy. It's a little bit more of a concern, especially when you're talking about someone like AD. Um, I'll say this, though, about Bron. Like, I think he could be really valuable on the defensive end in this series. Like, nobody – probably knows the Warriors better than LeBron and what they like to do. And I just think he could provide a lot of value as a defensive player, just knowing what what their actions look like, seeing what's coming. All not just that he has so much experience against them in the postseason and in the finals, but just like the fact that he's probably the smartest basketball player ever. Like he's been described as a supercomputer, of course. And like that's so I I think uh, he's going to be able to offer some insight, I think, into what the Warriors want to do. And then obviously he's capable of uh, of making some plays on that end on the court still, even at at age 38. But uh, but that's going to be a tough it's going to be a big challenge for the Lakers, man. The Warriors are the Warriors are tough. And now that they have Wiggins back, it's like all bets are off. Like, like, yeah, maybe this is like maybe they should be considered the favorites to come out of the West now. I don't know. It's just like we Wiggins was out for so long yep. um, and they were kind of sliding. It's like, you just forget. And then now that he's back, it's like, I don't know, maybe we should just look at them as like a, this is like a fresh start for them and yep. not, not worry about what they did in the regular season.
0: Yeah, man, I I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Still got about 30 hours or about 29 and a half hours till it starts, but Brett Usher, a pleasure to have you on today. And is there anything you want to plug uh, uh, before we sign off?
1: Uh, No, check out my podcast, uh, The Overstated NBA Show. I've been doing it with my good friend Steve Sabatini for a couple years. We've also brought a gentleman by the name of producer Mikey on board. So we crank that out at least like one episode a week. It's always a good time. But, uh, yeah, if you want to check that out, maybe subscribe. That would be awesome. And then other than that, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at UsherNBA. Always appreciate that. But thank you so much for having me on. That was great talking hoops with you, man.
0: You too, Brett. Yeah, definitely check him out at UsherNBA. If you don't follow him now, you've definitely seen his tweets come across your timeline. A lot of great threads, a lot of great insights. He's Brett. Um, Zach, you like what you heard as well? Typing across the Cavs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeart, Drop a Review. And we will see you again real soon.